welcome to Kingdom Conversations, where we are having supernatural and prophetic encounters with the Word of God. And I am the host from Astounding Love, a Global Church Fellowship, Pastor Lundzeen Lee. Uh, most people call me PL. The P stands for pastor, I hope. And uh, at any rate, we're going to have this conversation tonight or have a series of them. And I thank you so much for joining us, those that are part of the Astounding Love family those of you that are part of friends and family on Facebook Live. This is our second broadcast, and so we're going to try to get into the flow of it a little bit better. And let's start with prayer and take it away. Here we go. <laughs> Father God, I praise you, and I thank you for the power of your word. This has truly been an excellent day. It has been a day where we have been challenged, where we have encountered all kinds of things, attacks against friends and family. We've, we've seen miraculous glean, uh, um, glimmers of light, things that we see that you are doing in the background. I praise you and I thank you for the power of your word which never fails. It is truly the unfailing word. And I thank you, Lord, that our trust and our hope is not in man and it's not in ourselves, but it is in you and it is in what you said. I thank you for the peace of God that passes understanding. Your scripture says it, it mounts guard and garrisons our heart. It is a shield, it is a protector. It is so many different things to us. I thank you for your word, which is truth. I thank you that your word is also light and your word tells us that the entrance of your word, it brings light, it brings illumination, it brings us everything that we need to live an honest and pure life in your presence. Father, I thank you for the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, the men and women of your kingdom under assignment by you, called by you, anointed by you, that speak and deliver words that we have need to hear. I thank you that the ears of the hearers tonight are open to receive what you have to say, that the eyes of our understanding are enlightened so that we will know the hope of our calling. I thank you that our hearts are prepared to receive from you and that we choose to listen for the sound of the voice of the Holy Spirit as he speaks. And Father, I thank you that whatever the cares, whatever the worries, the turmoils, the irritants of life and this day, whatever they are, that they do not get to rise in superiority over who you are and what it is that you have in store for us. I praise you for my astounding love of Global Church Fellowship family. I thank you that we call everyone healed and every wit hold. I thank you, Father, for the miraculous turnarounds, the rising up off of sick beds, the elimination of every deadly thing that tries to come against them, that it is met with the opposition of the word of God and the I am yourself and the voice of the blood of Jesus that speaks, declares, decrees, and lets it be known that we are God's territory. We are God's um, people. We belong to you. I pray this not only for those that are of our local fold, but I pray this for everyone that has need of it, that has fought the good fight and that has chosen to believe you despite circumstances, that this settles in in the apostles that are affiliated with this ministry, whatever sicknesses, diseases, or any other kind of attack or malady that has come against them, the assignments of the enemy are canceled now in the name of Jesus. The same is true of the prophets, the, uh, the evangelists, the pastors, the 
teachers, the seers, the intercessors, the church workers, whoever they happen to be of this family. We say in the name of Jesus that no weapons formed against you shall prosper and the tongues of derogatory judgment and demonic intent that have been risen against you, that they are met with the word of God and crushed. I praise you, Father, this night that there is a miraculous turnaround and just as it was in the land of Goshen, there is a distinction between those that will follow after you and those that do not, but you don't withhold healing. And so I also speak to those even that would call themselves our enemies or those that hate who you are, but they need your healing. We release healing. We release the power of the blood of Jesus into the bodies, into the minds, into the hospital rooms, into all the prayer requests that people have prayed, the young man that wanted prayer for his mother and all the other individuals that have need because you are not a respecter of persons and your healing power, it says that wherever he went, Jesus healed them all. And so we release the all-inspiring resurrection power of uh, healing power of Jesus, of your word, of your truth, of your will into the bodies, into the minds, the hearts, the limbs, the, the lungs, wherever sickness or disease has decided to settle. We tell that snake be gone now in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for the victory that comes from releasing the power of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so thank you for those that are here. And as we're going to have this kingdom conversation, we're going to introduce a couple of little, uh, I, I guess I'm going to call them little parts or venues that we have uh, that you'll see. So I work a lot with slideshows and hopefully you can see what's behind me without me obstructing in any way, shape or form. So I want to go to the first one because what I like to do is make corrections whenever possible. And I do listen to these broadcasts. I actually pay attention to the words that come out of my mouth. And so what I want to tell you is, oops, that isn't what I meant to say at all. And I made a couple of mistakes last week. And I love that little boy. We see him all over the internet, but I just think he was perfect for this because he's pointing to the word of God. He's like, oops, you didn't say things according to the way that the word of God said. So let's start with the first one, which is Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 and verse 13 because it reads that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead that you shall be saved okay for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation verse 11 uh, says that for the scriptures say let me get over there myself I'm a little distracted so um Y'all have to bear with us if we have some corrections that we have to make or anything like that, all right? Um, verse 11 says, for, with the, for the scripture says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And verse 12 says, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is over all, over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So your bigotry, your prejudice, your um, whatever those kind of things are, they don't come from God. God is not a hater of you because of your national origin. God is not a hater of your ethnicity. God is not a hater of you at all. What he hates is sin. What he detests is the works of darkness and how they are perpetrated against you. God hates the criminal element of the demonic realm. That's what he hates. But he loves you. He loves him some you, I have to tell you. 
And verse 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right. So um, y'all got to bear with us for a minute because I'm in front of the TV and they need to shift it. I'm going to keep talking, but I just want to let you know, yes, you really are going to see the screen move from behind me and you're going to see probably what well, they're crawling on the floor, but otherwise you see really cute Leslie and really adorable Crystal and they're just crawling on the floor because they have to, to, to do, you know, these little technical things. Okay. So while they're doing that, I'm just going to go ahead and bring that again. The Bible says, and I tend to quote Romans 10, 9, 10, and verses 13. And I think that I said it wrong last week, but verse 13, Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's a very important factor for you to know. Again, you are a whosoever. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those of you that are sitting in here with me, at one time you were such a whosoever. Some of you that are watching that are born from above, you were at one time a whosoever. You're still a whosoever. Whosoever calls. Whoever says, Jesus, I believe. Whoever says, and this is how we do it. We don't typically do the repeat after me and let's pray this prayer. But I do like to take you through when you want to, to, to receive this salvation, which is so important that we're talking about it at the top of, of tonight, that you will confess, and that word confess, what it has to do with is opening up your mouth. It's really you speaking, you saying that this is true, you acknowledging something, you giving thanks for something, you taking hold of the promise, you taking uh, possession of the thing. I confess, I say this is mine. In other words, you're taking ownership of your belief. And that's a very important factor. You are taking ownership of your belief. I confess with my mouth, the Lord, my mouth, my tongue, opening up and allowing things to issue forth. In other words, he's saying, I'm using my voice. I am using my voice, okay? So whosoever, if you confess, open your mouth, take ownership, and say with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, calling Jesus Lord, and shall believe. Now that word is a choice. I do believe or I do not believe. That's really up to you. Whoever decides, this is what I commit to. Because really, that's what belief is. It's making a commitment to something or to someone. And I commit to stay with this decision. This means that you're not going to come out of it. This is a life-changing thing. It's, a, it's like a marriage vow. I am saying, this is what I take on. The Lord Jesus. I believe this, I trust this, and I commit as a believer to take him, to have faith in him, to entrust my life to him, to from this day forward always be with him. I'm not going to quit on him. Now this is important tonight because we are going to actually talk about uh, how placements of faith and, and things of that sort. But this is something, so I'm saying it again and I want you to really hear it. And I'm even talking to the people that claim to be born from above, but you waver sometimes in your what you believe about God. In fact, I think that it's very important because this is embarking on a brand new relationship that when you decide I am going to be in this relationship with God, I'm going to get to know who he is and I am not gonna take everybody else's word for it, especially when they say he fails to heal, he fails to show up, he doesn't take care of you, he's not faithful, you never know what God is going to do. Well, who wants to be with a wishy-washy individual like that? 
You know, that's a flake any way you shape it. That's a flake any way you say it. And God is not a flake. And if you and I don't take that as our truth and commit to the, and why, I, I, let me interrupt my own self. Why would you commit to someone that was going to flake on you in the first place? I mean, very seriously. And so this is what the scripture is saying. If you're going to make this commitment, then you are going to confess with your mouth just as you would in a marriage. Jesus is Lord. He's mine. Yes. He is mine. When these people stand up in front of uh, uh, preachers or whoever it is and say, I'm going to be, I pledge myself to this individual. I so-and-so take you so-and-so. I sure look forward to when it's my turn to say that. But when you do, I say to that other person, I take you as mine. Well, that's exactly what this is. I take you as mine. I confess Jesus as mine, and I am giving myself to you. He's taking me as his. All right? Are you with me so far? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Then he says, and you believe in your heart. You've committed with your heart. You have committed from the innermost being. And heart, in this case, is the word cardia. You are committing from your innermost being that this, my soul, my mind, my thoughts, my passions, my appetites, my affections, my purposes, my endeavors, my intelligence, my desire. This is an informed commitment. This thing is coming from out of a, the deepest unknown parts of ourself. But I am saying this is a life-changing forever kind of deal. That's what the salvation is. It's not just praying a prayer and you're weeping and sobbing because, you know, you think that your emotions have been hit. This is not what this is because that means that you can wake up the next day and feel different emotions and break up with them. I was married to you. We had a great wedding night, but I've decided I don't want to be married. I don't think so. Do you understand? So this is what is contained in this Commitment, because this is the commitment Jesus made to us. I pledge to give my blood. I pledge to give my life for these people. And I will never try to take it back. Okay. And now we go to verse 13. And that word saved, I, I guess, we raised him. God has raised him from the dead. God has taken him out of the place. Uh, this is necros. And so that's that uh, place where... He is literally has breathed the last that he was without life anymore in the earth. He had departed from the earth as a earth being. He lived here as a human. He had blood in his body else it would not have fallen out. And he went through all the things. He had an appetite. He ate. He grew up. He did all of the things that we know that pertain to life. And at the end of it, the breath, the spirit departed from his body his blood was poured out and the body itself ceased to function in the earth if you believe that God has literally wake, woke, uh, here's the word raised it says raised him from the dead that he was awakened see this is different from what other people refer to this is God's definition of what it means to cause to rise, to awake from sleep. This is being awakened to who God is. This is being awakened to how God is. And this is being raised up from nether places that only God could bring you back from. 
So it's, it's, it's not just that God raised him from the dead, it's that you believe God has the power to raise you from the dead and that God has the ability and that God has committed to wake him up from that what we would call eternal rest or sleep. People always say rest in peace. Well, it depends on where they went, whether they're resting or not. The body is deposed, but the spirit is still in existence. And you've got to understand that because that's what we are is spirit. Before we are these people that live in these tents, these brown houses, uh, cream colored houses, whatever color your house may be, you are not the color of your house. You are the color of God, if God is who you belong to. You see, that's why the color of the house doesn't matter in that sense, because that's not the most important part of who you are. We don't identify first according to ethnicity we, in the kingdom of God. We identify first as spirit. Is everybody with yeah. me? So this is a spirit to spirit conversation. And so then it says, so God has raised him up from the dead. And if you believe that from that sleep, if God, if you believe that, then you are saved. You have just crossed over into a place that uh, not every man is bold enough to go. You have passed over into a place where you will be kept safe, where you will be kept with soundness, that you are rescued from danger or eternal destruction. That's what we mean, saved. Because I've told people on a previous broadcast that when I first came into the kingdom of God, I didn't know I was saved. I didn't know what saved meant. It sounded like the holiness people that I grew up around and I didn't want to be one of them. So when you told me I was saved, I argued with you. No, I am not saved. I don't want to be saved. Don't try to make me be saved because I don't want to be, I was associating it with the way people acted. And I was a, a, associating salvation with the outward appearance. It's not, it's an inward work. So this is why I'm taking a very long time to correct a short mistake. But one more time, this is necessary for tonight's conversation. So you will be, why? Because it says, skipping down to verse 13, for whoever or whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You believe the message. You want what is offered. You have received the invitation and you have stepped over into it. That's what we mean when we tell you to check out Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13. So that is my correction. Let's go on to the next one. The next thing that I wanted to correct is that last week I was trying to talk about, really I was talking about evangelism. And I said, and uh, I said that Peter told Andrew, his brother, to come and see. Well, Andrew told Peter uh, to, that we have found the one. Andrew is the, was the first evangelist that we read about there that told, went and told his brother, we have found the Savior. We have found the Messiah. We have found the one that we're looking for. And if you have a Bible, you can go to John chapter 1. Those of you that have a Bible or a Bible app or whatever it is, you can go to John chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 43. Okay. And in verse 43, in this one, it says, I want to start with verse 40. Ah, verse 30. Jesus said it first, because a few people said it, Okay. Let's just start with John, uh, John chapter 1, and let's go start with verse 35. 
and then we'll make our way through. Because this is a very interesting conversation to have. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. It says again the next day, this is verse 35. After John stood and two of his disciples looking upon Jesus, and we're talking about John the baptizer, looking upon Jesus as he walked, that he, John, said, behold, or look, the Lamb of God. This is what he had said when he had baptized him, or at the time of his baptism, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. And here he points, and he, this is his cousin even, but he wasn't referring to him as, that's my cousin Yeshua. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. And he said, and the two disciples that were with him, they heard him speak. And then they left John, and they left the, just the baptism, and they followed Jesus. This is really important because it's what we do. We follow Jesus. We follow the word of God. Jesus is the living word of God that you'll find in John chapter 1, verse 1 uh, and 2 and so forth. He, Jesus is the word of God, the living, he's the walking word of God in this case. And so when John uh, beheld him or looked, cast his eyes upon him, and he said, behold, this lamb of God. And, he, and they, they heard him and said, what? He's the one. And so they followed after him. And Jesus turned. Can you imagine? You're walking. Somebody points you out. You continue walking. And two people detach themselves and start following you. Well, why are you following me? Is, is my natural thought. And what did Jesus do? He says he turned. And you see, this is letting you know he's real. Okay. He turned and saw them following, and he said to them, what do you want? What are you looking for? You know, because come on, two people start following you after you pass your cousin? They said unto him, Rabbi, knowing he was a teacher, okay, or master, where do you live? Where are you sitting? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not prone to answer questions like that for people I don't know. Excuse me, pastor, where do you live? Why do you want to know? Which means why I'm not Jesus. Okay, and neither are you, because you would do the same thing, most of us, okay? But Jesus, because he's very confident in who the Father is, and he had a knowing about all this, he said those words, come and see. Now, isn't that interesting? Um, so here it is, come and see, come and see. You know, there are some people that are very open to that, but I just want to look at these words for a minute. That word, erkomai, um, means to come, to come from one place to another, to make an appearance someplace, okay? And then when he said to come and to see, when he said to them, make an appearance, or I want you to show up and to be aware. I want you to perceive with your eyes. I want you to come. I want you to come from where you are to where I tell you to, to be, and I want you to have understanding with your eyes. I don't want you just looking, but I want understand. I want your eyes to be open to what you see and to perceive by all of your senses according to what your eye is saying. I want you to notice, to discover, to discern, and I want you to pay attention to what it is that I show you. Now that's all that was contained in that simple expression, come and see. So they came and they saw where he dwelt and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now we understand that this is the culture of the time and so forth and so on because most of us that's not going to be. You wake up in the morning and your kid is just brought 
home like five little other kids. Uh, something's got, we've got to know what's going on. And there may be a very good reason, but we don't know what it is. So can you imagine, he must have been a bachelor, <laughs> that, uh, you know, because Mrs. So-and-so is going to come through and go, who are these people and why are they in my house? But he just said, come and see, and they came and they stayed. And what happened? Well, to me, what is happening is that they're engaged in conversation with him. It isn't just that they came to his house and they eat some fish and stuff, and then, you know, they sleep and go on about. But they have to be, when he says come and see, and come and perceive, and come and understand, that means that he has begun to talk. And he is sharing things about himself with these two. And so it says that one of the two which heard John and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, they just assume we know who he's talking about in this. So as a writer, John is just getting to the point. One of the ones that followed Jesus turned from following John, the baptizer or the immerser, and started following Jesus was named Andrew, and he was Simon Peter's brother. And he first, after he heard, now here's evangelism at work, he first found his own brother Simon. That's why your uh, uh, saved relatives come to y'all first. And after y'all cuss them out and send them on their way, you know, those of you that do things like that or had heard of such a thing, uh, they go to everybody else, but they went first to he went first to his own family, and he told his brother Simon, which is Peter. So is this Andrew telling Peter, not Peter telling Andrew? Uh, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ, and then he brought him to Jesus. So there you have the completion. Whosoever believed, now this is before salvation, okay? Because Jesus has not died at this time. But what he did was said, this is the one to follow. This is the carrier of the truth that we have been seeking. And he did not just send him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, it said he said, he knew he knew who he was. He said, you're Simon, the son of Jonah, but you shall be called Cephas, which interpreted means a, a small rock. It's a stone. And it's another, it was another name for Peter. Okay? So... He said, you're going to be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Now, here we go to verse 40. So there's my first correction, that it was not Andrew that said to Peter, or Peter said to Andrew, come and see. The first come and see was spoken by Jesus himself, and he spoke that to Andrew. But we got to keep going, because the comment that I made last week was that this was how someone would bring someone, and that you're just telling them to come and see. And I used two names, again, Peter and Andrew, which was incorrect. So we got to find out if the expression is true. Who said come and see? Who said come and see? Well, we know Jesus said it, but he didn't say it to Peter either. And it was not the right response. So who said it? Well, I went back because I was like, that just bothered me. Every time I make a mistake like that, I'm like, we got to clean this up. And to my people, y'all know, do not trust me when I quote a scripture. Read the scripture that I'm quoting so that you know that I gave you the right address. What happens to us a lot of times is we're talking and we're talking and we've got like 10 thoughts coming at the same time. And you can get the right concept and you can even get the right um, idea of what the scripture is but give it a totally wrong direction. 
And I don't make that as an excuse. I'm simply telling you that for me, it is because I've got all these thoughts going and you're trying to extract the one that's going to make the most sense following the sentence that you just spoke. So you want to try to speak in a succession of sentences that make sense instead of picking line one from the Jabberwocky and another line from uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the rise and fall of the Roman Empire and then here's the great ride of Paul Revere. You don't wanna pull those, those sentences and then a quote from the scriptures, okay? So we have all of these things going on and sometimes, man, it just doesn't, it doesn't come out right. So you, that's important when you minister that you really wanna make sure you stay pure <laughs> because sometimes things can come out of your mouth and you're thinking, well, I surely didn't mean to say that. And you want to make sure that what you didn't mean to say, at least it's clean and it's, it's it, I, I'm not going to say it's non-offensive because we're speaking the word of God, but you can say that you're not deliberately setting out to offend people, okay? That we're not interested in, I'm not interested in doing that. All right, so verse 44, or 43, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and he found Philip. And he said unto him, follow me. Now, day one, Andrew, come and see. Day two, Philip, follow me. Totally different type of uh, conversation. Now, why did he tell Philip just to follow him? And Andrew, I don't know, but they never told me who the other disciple was. Maybe it was Philip. I really don't know. But what it means is I want you to join my company. I want you to be, you just got hired. <laughs> Come and be a part of the company and attend me. Join as one of my disciples, be a part of my party. That's what he told Philip. Come and be one of us. And Philip was not some uh, easy peasy little dude, you know, that you could just easily persuade that just went, okay, I'll just follow you, you know, like a zombie or something. That wasn't the way it was. I think it was a very informed decision. I think he had heard Yeshua say some things. I think he was quite interested in what was happening. Nevertheless, I think that the calling of Andrew and Philip were the first two evangelists. That's what I think. Because Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of, oh, check it out. Who did he know? Andrew and Peter. So he could very well have been hanging out. And Philip did not go to go talk to Andrew. Philip did not go to go talk to Peter. Philip went to find Nathaniel. <laughs> and everybody go, who the heck is Nathaniel? And how did Nathaniel get, you know, get caught up in the story? Well, Nathaniel actually means gift of God. And um, some people think he was also Bartholomew. I don't know. I remember that song we used to sing. I'm not going to sing it tonight. But he went to Nathaniel. And this is what he said. He said, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. We found him, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel, you could tell, was not so evangelistic because Nathaniel's comment was, can it be anything good come out of Nazareth? You talking Nazareth? What, what good comes out of Nazareth, right? And Philip did not argue with him. Philip said to Andrew, I mean, Philip said to Nathaniel, go ahead and read it. Come and see. That's what Philip said to Andrew. So there's another evangelistic way. Okay? One is simply, I found him and he brought him. Another one is, hey, this is the dude. 
you make your little rebuttal. He said, well, come and check it out for yourself then. Come and see. Come and be a part of that. And then Jesus, of course, spoke to Nathaniel and said, oh, yeah, I saw you. I saw you under the tree and so forth and so on. And it went on. So that is my correction. Who really said come and see? So I have these four men. Philip. No, let me start over. Who was the first one? Go back. Andrew. Then who's next? Peter. Then Philip. Then Nathaniel. And we saw two acts between Andrew and Philip of evangelism. Because one of the things that evangelists love to say to people is come and see. Which means in today's 21st century that what you mean is that you will operate in the power of the Holy Spirit and there will be demonstrations of the truth of the gospel that are exhibited through you. You understand? When we were learning in Glad Tidings School of Evangelism a long time ago, my brother and I, uh, they, uh, or something else actually that was put out through Billy Graham's Evangelistic Association, I remember that one of the things that they kept telling us all was be an Andrew. Be an Andrew. Just tell people what you found. But I think that they were probably talking about Philip too. Be one that tells people we have found him. Come and see. My name is not Andrew. My name is not Philip. I was more like Nathaniel. So it was, I was the one you had to tell to come and see. And I'm so glad they did. All right. So those are corrections. I took a long time with it. I hope I don't make too many. Uh, <laughs> there it is. So we want to correct our mistakes. Okay, let's move on. Very quickly, let's go to the commercial message. Tonight, it is simply black coffee with, yeah, it's coffee. Okay, so I just want to remind you, and I don't even have a copy of mine on the desk tonight, but okay, that these are the three books that are recommended by our Apostle Dr. Baker. They are It's Supposed to Kill You by Apostle Dorothy Lee, The Alpha and Omega, uh, written by Apostle Cal Cook, Calvin Cook, and Kingdom 101, which is written by myself. So there are the three. I will tell you that for Kingdom 101, this is the month of April, and so this book is a year old this month. And so I am working on trying to get the workbook that accompanies it to be okay. um, published prayerfully sometime this month or within the next two months, okay? So there is a workbook coming out before the this, this second book um, comes out. So that's all that I wanted to say on that. You can find all those books on Amazon. And again, if you have any more questions with, pertaining to myself, you can go to my website, which is www.dominionunlimited.com, so we can move off of that slide. And now, we're going to have our first conversation tonight about the power-filled blood of Jesus. And the reason that we're going to do that is because our Sundays, where we used to do two, two services of Biblical Solutions for Life, we've been bringing change to the house. And so starting this Sunday, we have one session of Biblical Solutions for Life. It begins at 10.45 a.m., and we're going to tell you that again later, but it begins at 10.45 a.m., and it goes until it's done, and we don't know what's going to happen. We have no idea. Now, for those that are a part of our house, a part of the Trade Zone uh, meeting place, we're going to be here, those whosoever will, because it's by choice. But God has given us an invitation to come and worship him, to come into the intimate place, to come into the bedroom with him. Because in worship, you say things to God that you wouldn't say to anybody else. It's a time of honestly um, doing what I love in, in Psalm 36 or 37, where he talks about the, the, the river of his pleasures. 
And it's, it's being in a place where he is delighted to have us, to be in his presence. And I don't know about you, but I think there's something very marvelous to know that the possessor creator of the heavens and the earth, the one that made me, wants to be intimate and spend time with me. I'm obviously talking about a spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection. It's the raw person. It's the true individual that can connect with God because we're born from above. We can connect with him by, because we're in him, and we can hear him, and we can tell him how we feel about him. And some people might be shy about that because they feel like, well, I don't really know him. And I know, you can look at church services, and you, everybody knows when you look at church services and they're doing a worship service, or what we refer to as a worship service, that if they do a close-up, I think it's kind of invasive sometimes, you know, because they'll do a close-up and you'll usually see I don't know if people look like they're in a drug-induced uh, state or trance or whatever, but I think that in many cases it's because we've left the building. We have moved into a place where all we see is him. And our facial expressions cannot capture every moment that we're spending in the realm of the spirit. And the reason that it can't is because things move and yet they don't. We're in a timeless realm, and our face is stuck in the time realm. So, you know, your body is stuck, so you're looking, ah. But on the inside, in the spirit realm, you're skipping and jumping and hopping and laughing and lying in his arms and being hugged by him and, you know, running through metals and fields and you're doing all kinds of, it's the best um, um, moments that you would ever see in a, in a movie or something, you know, all captured in a heavenly realm. And you're being told about yourself. He's, he strips himself to let you see the intimacy of, of his love. I think that in the, what it means to come into that bedroom or that chamber, which you can read about even in the Song of Songs, come into this place where the door is closed behind you and you are in a place where I will show you how I love you. And it's the love, it's not a sexual encounter, but it's the love of God that radiates from his being and pours into ours. And our reciprocation of allowing how we are rapturously, rapturously filled with him, you cannot help but express it. And that's why it's so intimate. And gosh, I just tear up a little bit. Sometimes when things start getting really hot for me in the spirit, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I feel, anyway, I'm not going to get drunk today, but maybe. But um, these are, are some of the things. Now, that's what's going to be happening. So I said all that to say, so I'm teaching on the power-filled voice of, Je of the blood of Jesus in these sessions as well to um, continue on because there's so much more to talk about. And we've experienced things with that today. So what I want to do very quickly, because I'm not going to spend the whole time on this, but I want to take us through just a few things. If you have questions, by the way, and you're a part of our house, then go ahead and send those uh, requests or questions to either Crystal or to Leslie tonight. Yes, Leslie has joined the team. So um, just text either one of them with your questions, uh, those of you that are moderating online. 
and those of you that are watching that do not actually know us personally at this time, just go ahead and post your question in the comment section and they will uh, go ahead and, and pick that up and transmit it over to us. If you don't want your question answered tonight, but there's some things that you would like to know, you can also contact us at astoundinglove.org. That is our email request or question and answer type of thing. And you can just go to the website and contact us and we will get the message, okay? So the first thing I wanna talk about, we're talking about the power-filled voice of the blood of Jesus and we're gonna talk about a few things about the quality of the blood. Um, if you want earlier things of this, I know that we have some of the clips on our website at astoundinglove.org on a page called Pastor Lundzine's Notes. And then there are other things that we still are archived, I believe, under at Love Astounding on Periscope. And or if you go again to our website and you click on that link, anything that was of us that was before Periscope stopped uh, broadcasting, you can find pretty much everything there, um, everything that was able to, to go through or the filming was right. All right, so let's look at these, uh, this thing here. What we wanna talk about is that resurrection power is only available through the life of God. What I mean by that, I don't mean that it's not necessarily available to raise somebody up, but to operate in the power of his resurrection, to be intimately acquainted with him, as Paul said, my determined purpose is to know him. I wanna know the fellowship of the sufferings. I wanna understand, I wanna have that deep, intimate knowledge with him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know him on a level that where he will allow me to. And see that again is that intimacy, it's that stripping away. I want to know things about the blood of Jesus. I want to know what it's saying to me. I want to know why it calls me into the places that it does. I want to hear. I want my ears to be open to hear what the blood is saying to me. And one of the things that the blood of Jesus sp speaks of is the resurrection power that is available to raise you and I, to raise your life. The, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, Mythology and things, they talk about the phoenix rising from the ashes, but this is greater than that. This is a man or a woman, this is a, a, a soul, a spirit that is being raised from the places of deadness to be able to come into places of light and life. This is being filled. What is resurrection power? Have you thought about it? Yes, it is the power to raise you from the dead, but what is the power that raises you from the dead? It's the spoken words. You can find it actually in Ezekiel 37 when he asked the prophet, can these bones live? And he responded, God, you know. And he said, I want you to prophesy to those bones and I want you to tell them to come lie and to come together. And then he said, I'm going to put the skin, I'm going to put the blood, the, all of the things in it that it needs. So it had blood, uh, it's the sinews it says, and then the skin covering it. In other words, the skeletal frame was filled with everything necessary to, to form a human. But he said in Ezekiel 37, but even after it was formed, it did not move for there was no life in it. And God said, prophesy again, prophesy to the wind, which meant prophesy to the breath and I will fill it with my breath so that it will be a living being. So it took blood and it took breath because the breath of life comes from God and the blood is filled, it, it fills that body because where is that breath? Breath is spirit. And where was spirit? Because man, the bones, the skeleton, it is nothing until there is the spirit 
on the inside. But the spirit worked, and when it came in, it resided in a special place. And you can find that in Leviticus, I believe it's Leviticus 11, where it said that the life of the flesh, the breath is in there, but the life of the flesh is in the blood. It was telling you where the spirit is located. It is in the blood. It's not in the bones. It's not in the brain. It's in the blood, the life, the the nephesh or the breath of life, the pneuma, as we say it in the Greek, of life is in the, it's, it's resting in the blood. Pretty awesome. And uh, so resurrection power is the power of spirit and blood together that promotes you to live. It's a living spirit, the spirit, the breath of God combined with this blood of life that gives you life, that raises you up. Meaning then if resurrection power, that breath is stirring up in that blood again and it can do it because God created it to be so. So you can't make this happen no matter how many Frankenstein movies you watch or zombies, which are the walking dead, which, duh, gives you an idea, flesh eating flesh, okay, um, that, um, that these are the things that, that, that take place. Is everybody with me? Yeah. Okay, so um, this is what he was saying here. So resurrection power is only available through the life of God. I don't care what they say, there are cheap imitations out there, but it's not him. <laughs> it's not him. Frederick just sent me a message, Leviticus 17, 14. Thank you, Frederick. It says, for the life of all flesh, the blood of it is the for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, you shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for all the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Okay, so the life of the flesh. Thank you, Frederick. And also verse 11, which is what I was thinking, Leviticus 17, 11, um, if you go up a few verses, it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. And this is really important too, because we're in the Passover season, and we're talking about what the blood of Jesus does, okay? The atonement that they were talking about was a covering of sins for a year, but the power of the blood of Jesus is that it covers, it washes away, it blasts them away for all times. So there is a big difference between what they went through in Leviticus chapter 17 and what we go through now, okay? Yes. Everybody with me? All right, so in the first covenant, which I was just talking about, it says blood on the altar was given for what? To make a covering or an atonement for the living, breathing soul, okay? Got that? This is what I just said. But, the next verse, number three, but the blood of Jesus speaks of better things than what the first covenant provided. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, 24, it says that it speaks. Okay? Mm -hmm. Do I have any questions so far? Okay. The blood of Jesus speaks of better things than what the first covenant provided. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, very simply says that the blood of uh, Jesus, the Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling his blood that speaks better things than of Abel. Whereas Abel's blood, Abel's blood called out for um, rescue. 
Abel's blood said, I need to be redeemed. I need vengeance. I need an answer because I, it was righteous blood and he was killed. He was the first murder. So his blood is crying out for vengeance, if you will. Who will avenge me? But the blood of Jesus speaks of better things than Abel because the blood of Jesus says, I have avenged you. Not only that, I have exonerated, I have cleansed, I have pardoned, I have given you, okay, an opportunity for new life. I bring resurrection power in my midst that you who were dead uh, to God can now be brought into life. That's one of the many wonderful things that the blood of Jesus speaks. And so we recognize the voice of his blood through his word. When you're reading in this word, and you're reading that the, the Bible says, by his stripes you are healed, or I brought you out of this, and I'm bringing you into this. You're recognizing the trail of covenant blood because it wasn't just spilled into the earth. His blood had, has legal um, rights and precedents. Jesus' blood was the blood of a legal agreement between God and himself. It's blood that says, this, my purpose here is to legally forgive all mankind, to give God cause and purpose and opportunity to save or to bring out of darkness as many as shall receive what the blood is giving. So the blood is saying, I testify that I paid the price for your sins. I testify. That's what the blood does. It testifies. Here's what he said. I testify that this individual has taken what I have offered, and therefore I have taken their place. The sins that they have committed, I have taken their place. That's what it says. Your spirit hears this. This is how, this is part of being born from above, that my spirit responded to the call of the blood of Jesus. Come here and let me wash you. We are not a bloodless church. We do not preach a weak, wimpy, so-called gospel message that tells you we're going to protect you because there's so much violence in the world. We're not going to talk to you about blood. I'm going to tell you something. We're not only going to talk to you about blood, we're going to give you the opportunity to be washed in that blood and because it's the only thing that is going to set you free from the derangement of the crazy stuff that goes on here. The blood of Jesus is, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but hey, it's his blood we're talking about, so that's the way it is. The blood of Jesus can wipe the madness away from your mind can remove the tormenting voices, silence them permanently. And some of you out there have need of that because you're listening to lies every single day. Every time you look in the mirror, every time somebody calls you on the phone, every time you read a newspaper or do something, you believe things that God did not say. And that's how we distinguish between what is the truth and what is a lie. If you can find that God said it in here, you're talking about truth. If you find somebody telling you that you're in that you are unworthy, that you are too ugly, that you are a failure, that you, are, um, that you don't have what it takes to win, you are listening to a lie because God never said it. The only thing he said on that topic was if you try to do it without me, you're going to fail. But when you belong to me, baby, success is all in your future and it's all in your corner. And Savannah, if you're watching, again, I say nobody puts God's babies in a corner.
Okay. That's what the blood of Jesus says. He gives us identity. They belong to me. I have marked them. I have washed them. And what else does he do? He says, I testify the truth of all that God has said about us. Hey, you know what's so cool? I'm saying this, and then I read the note and go, yeah, that's what I just said. So 1 John chapter 5, when you go over there, 1 John chapter 5, and you look over at verse 4, and it tells us, for who, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Now, when he talks about that faith, he says, who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the son of God. Who can overcome every obstacle? Who can overcome every threat? Who can overcome every no when there should be a yes? Who can overcome every time somebody steals from you? Who can overcome when sickness and disease comes against you? Who can overcome when people lie about you and trash your reputation? Who can overcome when the public tries to shame you? Who can overcome and who can rise up, not from the ashes be like a phoenix, but like a hero, like a overcomer, like a blood-washed individual? He that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what the Bible says. And then it says this, this is what? He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only. So that's why we don't preach a, wa a, a, a weakened type of message. He came by blood, and it is the spirit that bears witness because the spirit is truth, not just any, but the Holy Spirit of God. So the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely pulsating with the holy blood that cleanses and delivers. And if anybody tries to tell you something different, you need to run to a place where they will tell you about the power of the blood because you certainly do need it. I know I do, all right? So that's what we're talking about there. So what is belief? According again to 1 John 5.1, belief is that he that believes that Jesus uh, is the Son of God, that he is born of God. That is what, how God defines belief. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God, and we're going back to what we said in Romans 10, you are committed to this. I don't care what you tell me. I don't care what kind of scientific artifacts you try to bring. I don't care what kind of scrolls you say that you found in some sacred place. I don't care if you tell me that this kind of angel came and told you that, that the mystical truth is that only angels are real and the celestial beings are the ones and so forth. I don't give a rip what you say. The Bible says, and I have committed to believe that Jesus is the son of God and that is the victory that overcomes the world. Do you have that? Do you have that? Or are you faltering? Are you going through some things in your life right now where you're not necessarily believing what the truth is? Let's keep going. It says that the precious blood of Jesus is victorious because of belief in what God said. You see, there it is again. It's always going to come back to what did God say? What is written in God's word that God has released to us who are living in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus 
that we are to release into this earth according to the will, the word of God. I don't know if it's the will of God. If you can find it in here and he said it, then you do know that it's the will. I'm not sure it's God's will for me to heal. Then that means, oh, to heal me. That means you don't know what the Bible says. It means you've been listening to a religious system. You've been listening to a bunch of liars or people that didn't have enough faith to believe that you would be healed. And so they had to make up excuses that why it's either your fault because you don't have faith or it's God's fault because, you know, he's got all these rules and regulations and, and, and little hoops and things you got to run through. Well, the Bible tells me that when people came to Jesus, he laid hands on them, he spoke to them, he called the thing out and they were healed. So I don't know where all your complications are coming from. Sometimes it's because we're trying to smear you down like we're going to put you in the oven and we're praying over you for 30 minutes. All of these prayers because we are, you think we're doing great faith trying to get you healed. Dude, we don't have faith to get you healed is what we're really telling you. However much oil we got to use and then rub you and do a little more and dab you and do this, that, and the other. Whoever's doing that, they're trying to work up their own faith. Just sit still, read the word until, and speak it out loud and keep saying it's true of you and ask the Holy Spirit. I like to bypass. It's not seven steps to healing or three steps to decrease or any of that. It's talking to the Spirit of God saying, I'm going to take the truth that you have for me and you will show me what to do so I can receive what you have. I don't want you to go down the road, the, ro the rocky road of religion, trying to figure out how to make this word work. The Bible says, I'll just clear this up for you, and I'm sure this scripture, Jeremiah chapter 1, God tells Jeremiah, I hasten, I hover over my own word. I perform my work. You don't do it. I do it. I am my word. That's what he's telling us. And it's basically, well, I don't know if I can get this word to work. It's like um, God does that part. And it's very easy for him because all he does is show up as himself. So maybe we've been using too much religion in places where, because we had no faith. Now, I'm only talking to those that are born from above. So if the owie goes there, it's okay. Just put some blood on it and you'll be healed, okay? All right, our natural emotions. Now, I had the truth. Everybody that's in here, they didn't walk out. So, so far, we're all right. Um, our natural emotions, and this is really lines up, cannot be trusted to handle faith. Because I can pray for you and hope it works. I can pray for you with one eye closed and one eye open, looking to see. I can be praying for you, looking at you, assessing you, trying to figure out, is this thing going to work or not? When's it going to kick in? I shared on Sunday about all the emotional ridiculousness that I went through over the weekend. And what was happening was that we were doing precisely what the scripture tells us not to do. Okay, Because the Bible tells you, that you should not grow weary in doing well. Galatians 6, 9 says, do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we don't faint. Well, I was weary. And when I say that word, let me look at this word up for us real quick. That word weary, it means that I was failing. I was fainting. And that, what, what we talked about, about belief and a commitment and a determination to stay strong. I was faltering on my belief. I was letting too many things get involved in my relationship with the Lord. How does it work? How does it happen? It can happen because you look at 
what appears, say appears, appears, to be God's failure to answer your prayers. Say you pray for somebody to be, uh, to get a job and they got fired. And then you pray for somebody else to get a new car and their car got repossessed. And then you pray for somebody to be married to their one true love and they found out that person was cheating on them. I think by that time, nobody's going to ask you to pray anymore because your prayers seem to be working contrary to what it is that they're asking for. And then you just do one simple little prayer. Look, I just need enough money to keep my lights off on. And three days later, sitting in the dark, you're still trying to figure out how not only do you have to get your utilities back on, but now you got to come up with whatever the deposit is to pay it off. And so in your mind, God has failed. God is not hearing you. Now in another place you're saying, I'm strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And I believe that God has truly promised me that he will give me that which he has said. That strapping young man or young woman or that, oh, well, maybe you don't want a strapping young woman. But uh, <laughs> that bodacious one. You know, that beautiful this and that lovely this and gobs and gobs of this and God has promised and I have a promise from God and I believe it and everything is looking like it's going to happen and it looks like all the power went out of that. And you've been waiting and you've been waiting. Day, day one was fine. Week one was okay. A month was all right because you had already settled it. It'll happen within six months. The seventh month comes around and you think maybe I was off. Then the seventh year of the thing occurs. <laughs> Somebody here said, wow. <laughs> How did I jump from seven weeks to seven years? And they say, you still believe God? Well, yes, I do. And every once in a while, you'll roll into a believer's meeting, and everybody's preaching faith and you get stirred up again, bless God, we believe the word of God and we're gonna stand on it. I don't care what my friends say, I don't care what my family says, I don't care what you say, I know that God has done it. And the 10th year shows up. <coughs> oh, it, it happens. And you think, I'm too old to get married now. I'm too old to want a new job or to start a business or to do all the things I dreamt about that I was just so sure that God had said. You had just enough faith, you thought, to stick with your promise, but then when your prayers for others don't seem to be happening either, you just suddenly wake up and go, you know what, I'm tired of all this. Don't you bother me with another God thing. Brother, asking me, sister, can you believe in me for, you know, I would pr trust, uh, I'm praying and I know that this is going to happen. Just agree with me that, no, I, I'm not going to agree with you. If I agree with you, you're cursed. <laughs> All it's going to take for me is for me to agree and you ain't getting it. So I advise you to keep on going down the road and find brother happy because I ain't it. You know, or sister, sister, woo, 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 you know, because I, I, I don't have faith for you. I ain't got faith for nothing. Right? Why? Because you've grown weary. This is why your natural emotions cannot be trusted to handle faith. This is everything you're feeling. This is all about feeling. You get it? 
I didn't say a thing. I said trying to have faith because you're thinking you have faith, but thinking you have faith is not faith. All right? Are you saved? Well, I like to think I am. That's what I used to say. And the man told me on the bus, I avoided him after that. If you have to think about it, you're not. Well, then don't talk to me anymore. I thought he was cute until he said that. Don't bother me. Because we went from, I'd like to think so. I thought that was such a great answer. Oh, yeah. Yes, I'd like to think that I'm saved, but you can't think that you're saved. you got to know this. Do you have faith? Faith for what? Do you have faith that God, in God? Yeah, I believe. You believe what? I believe that God is real, but do you believe that God does what he says? And I'm going to ask you that. Do you? Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Why aren't you sure? This is what you have to ask, because what we're wanting to do is locate. Yes. Because if you don't identify where you are, truth cannot come in. And if truth doesn't come in, you cannot hear what the blood of Jesus is saying. Do you understand where I'm, where I'm going with this? I'm not going to get too far, much further. We're about done. But I must, I cannot allow my natural emotions to dictate my faith. It cannot handle it. You remember that movie, You Can't Handle the Truth. Well, there is no truer word spoken to your emotions. You cannot handle faith. You stink at it. You totally blow it. Because one day I feel good, so I've got faith. The next day I went to the gym and my body hurts. I ain't got faith to get out of the bed, let alone have faith that you're going to get your bubble gum. Forget it. Leave me alone. Do you understand? Okay. So anyway, we've, we've belabored that enough. Your spirit handles faith because faith is a spiritual force that comes from a supernatural place. I'm not talking natural faith. If you weigh 112 pounds and you look at a little bench and you sit on it, you typically have no doubt the bench will hold you. You've got natural faith. If you weigh a little more than that and you see a bigger, sturdy rock, you've got faith that the rock will hold you and you sit on it, right? No thought about it. Same thing with how you drive your car. If you've got a, what we call a good car, then you have faith every time you put your key in, the ignition and turn it, it's gonna start. If you've got a car that's held together by prayer and fasting, then, you, then you're gonna keep praying in tongues and doing everything you got to do before you start the car. I hope, but you operate sometimes not in faith, but in hope, I hope this works. Well, hope it works in that case is probably hinted with fear that it won't work. You're entertaining a moment of doubt, the possibility of doubt, which means that your emotions are starting to try to handle faith. Don't let it happen. Okay? Are we are we are we all together? Yeah, on that? Yeah. All right. So again, faith is a spiritual force. Faith is a communication from God. It comes from a word filled with faith, which is the word of God. And the commitment to believe are all parts of the workings of faith. It comes from hearing what God has said. And because of your commitment to believe him, to trust him, then when he says it, that settles it for you. It really settles it. You may have to do some research, but you've already predisposed. I'm predisposed 
to believe God. Even in the face of crazy stuff, I'm predisposed to believe God. So when that happens, and, and you're still waiting 10 years for a promise, when that happens, when you, when you remember what you committed to, and you stay with what God says, and you keep repeating it, do you know, you'll all of a sudden get the understanding of where you are in the timeline, and you'll find out what it is that you have need of. Most of the time, when we say we trust God, and I believe in God, I'm believing God, you, it's not an action word. You didn't, you, your belief has no actions to it. You're just talking. Because when you start to believe, you move in the direction of what you believe. And that's a whole nother subject, and some of y'all gonna preach it this weekend, so have at it. But when you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you start moving toward Jesus. When you believe that what God has said, you start moving toward what he said and you move away from everything else. Are you getting me? We follow the direction of our belief. And if you're still sitting there waiting for something to happen, you're not following anything. And maybe that's all it takes. Okay? I'm not trying to solve everybody's problems today, but I am just going to say it one more time. Our natural emotions cannot be trusted to handle faith, so you've got to find out if you are trying to handle a faith work with unclean hands, faith in God is pure. Emotions that are tinged with or that you, uh, you, know, that you use instead to try to handle faith, they're, 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 they're stained with all kinds of stuff because it's all of your thoughts. It's all of your experiences. Can you understand that you cannot believe based on the fact that you have how do I say this, Lord? Well, I know that it works because I just feel that it will. I know that it works because it's always worked before. Well, we're closer there. But why does it always work before? I don't know. I just got the lucky ticket. Blank, wrong answer. You just moved back over to the wrong side. It works. This is always the answer, all right? As Apostle Baker would say, we always give you the answer. Why does my faith work, or why does it work? It works because God said it. It works because God said it. Why does healing come? Because God said it. Why does victory come even in the midst of disaster? Because God said it. When that's the basis for your faith, you've moved into a spirit thing because you just quoted a spirit source, God's word, spirit. It works, faith, a spirit force works because word, God's word, a spirit force come together to explode into truth, right? Truth. Well, what is another word for truth? Manifestation. Because manifest means, at, to, to shorten it up, the truth is seen. The veil is removed and people will see what you have trusted on the inside of you, when we allow faith to finally start and we listen to what the blood of Jesus is saying, then what starts to take place is that the picture that we have seen on the inside has to be seen on the outside. That's manifestation. You see with your eyes what I have seen. You'll see with your natural eye what I have seen in the spirit. Okay? Um, I think I'm about done tonight. Uh, so your natural emotions can't be trusted to handle faith. They must be purified by the spirit, which means by the word. 
Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Everything has to be subjected to the way that God has designed it in order to get the God results. It's all him. Starts with him. In the, begin in the beginning, in the middle is him, and in the end it's him. It go starts from him, flows to us, works through us, flows back to him. Full circle, all right? You with me? Mm -hmm. All right. Um, his precious blood, the blood of Jesus, testifies of that which is written. I do want to make these last few points, and then I'll be done. Okay, so we're talking about the blood sacrifice of Yeshua Jesus. In this season of Passover, in this time of miracles and resurrection power and everything of heaven being there, that the blood that was put on the door, if you read in Exodus, where it said, put the blood over the doorpost and on the side. And when the death angel comes into this place, that it will pass over every place where the blood is seen. The blood speaks of protection. It testifies, it covers, we are marked invisibly with the blood of Jesus. And there's a lot of things that as we continue to appropriate and say this is what is so, we release the power of the blood over our friends and over our family and over our nation and over, I, I don't, nobody can be your enemy when you allow the blood of Jesus to speak. Do you understand? Because human beings, I don't care if they do want to gauge against you, I refuse to hate. But love will fight for you. You understand? That's a whole other conversation. But yet, it's part of this one because what is the blood of Jesus but a representation or the action of God's love for us? It's God's response to us, a need to be rescued. The blood of Jesus is God's love in action. Okay? So the blood sacrifice of Yeshua Jesus, or Jesus Christ, is a forever offering. Hebrews chapter 10 um, tells us in verses 1 through 12, and I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, I want to finish in just a minute here. But Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 1, it tells us, oh, I do it that wrong, hold on, give me, there we go, all right. That we are also we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, and so we lay aside every way. This is one of my favorite passages, and I, I'm not going to stay with it right now. But it says that we're going to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and we are going to run with patience the race that is set before us. This running with patience, this race that is set before us, means you pay attention to what God wants to do in your life, and I think that. Too often we busy ourselves with what, telling everybody else how to live theirs, and at the end of the day, we have failed to complete our own thing. You know? So it's, it's really okay to, um, to recognize that God's got plans for you. Um, our sin, and he, in verse 12, let me just go to verse 12. I think that's where I wanna go anyway. Um, Here he's talking about the chastening of the Lord. Here we go. Okay. Verse 4 is interesting. He says, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. You have not yet uh, set in opposition, withstanding. You not, and, and I look at this to say, you have to, when you're striving against sin, you've got to use the blood of Jesus. 
You haven't, here he says, consider him, don't grow weary. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. This is verse three, Hebrews 12. Against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds, which we were just talking about. You can become weary and faint in your mind because you're not focusing on, on, on the, the provisions of heaven. We can forget, you see, because, because we're kingdom citizens, we don't live from the earth. We live from heaven in the earth. And so we see the way God sees and say what God says to get what God has. And so we are meant and called to live a very different life from the mere human life that is limited because, it doesn't, because everything is dependent upon what we can do for ourselves. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we live according to what God desires and what he can do through us. But we can become weary because most of the time in your, in your mind, you have already decided how it's going to be. And I use relationships a lot because I, I can see how easily we can get distracted. Here you're longing for someone and you have a, a fleeting thought of something and something happens and you think this surely must be God. And all of a sudden all your energies are pointed toward the pursuit of a person or pursuit of a, a career or pursuit of a, a, a money or pursuit of something because you've got a portion of what God said, like Apostle uh, Miratoni was talking last night on Dr. Baker's program, but say, or Apostle Baker's program, but you didn't get the full blueprint from God. You didn't go back to the originator of the dream, to the originator of the plan and get his point of view. Instead, you figured, oh, that, I know that means this. I got my dream interpretation book. This means this, and this means this. So I know exactly what he's talking about. And you are off course because you got everything from every source except the originator. Do you see what I mean? And so what happens is you get tired. You were planning to take a 10 hour drive that takes 40 hours because you have to turn around after you have gone three days in the wrong direction and turn around to drive back, pass everything where you started and then keep going to get to where you were headed in the first place. I know how to read a map. Well, I don't, so don't ask me, okay? <laughs> All right. Do you understand? So here he says, don't grow weary. Consider the one that endured the contradictions. Okay. He, he, all the antis, all the questions, all the disobedience, all the strife, all the gainsaying, all of the enemies, all the, 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 the people that are striving against him. He can consider, think about this one who he endured this against, against all this mess against himself. All the media, all of the flack, all of the opinions of everybody, the ugly faces, all directed toward him. He said, look at him, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. You're not dealing with nearly, well, you just don't know what they do to me. I know they didn't put you on a cross. Okay, because you're still here yapping. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. His blood is the blood that you are to use, okay? You are not resisting that way. You have not been set against. You have not been put in the place of another. Somebody took your place instead. Okay? He said, and you've forgotten 
the exhortation which speaks to you is unto children. Don't despise. Now this chasing, they think, oh, you mean he's punishing me? No, you're going through discipline. And you need to remember, whenever you're being disciplined, we're not talking about, I'm not talking somebody telling you to go out to a tree and pull a switch so that they can whoop you. That's not what I'm talking about. You have not been disciplined. You're being disciplined. You are learning, just as Jesus had to learn. You learn how to walk. You learn how to to do the things you do, you listen to the instructions and you follow them and quit trying to change the way it's done. That's called disobedience. He said you're learning obedience. The Lord is, tra is training you by his spirit to obey him, not forcing you to obey him, but teaching you and let, even letting you see when you choose to do something different from me, you don't get my plan for you. That's the real punishment that we have, is when we think that we're following him because we're doing what we think to be right. And we learn that he says, no, to so follow me is to do what I say, not what you think is right. Can you see the difference? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, let's finish it. All right, so this blood sacrifice is a forever offering. Jesus has offered this blood and done all these things and brought the encouragement, brought the, uh, prepared the path for the, for the chastening and all of these things. This is what his blood has done. We did it one time. Our sins are not just covered by his blood. We are washed, we are cleansed free of all sin and defilement by his blood. Now the scripture for that is found in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves, of mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He didn't say that they could not come out of that darkness and be saved. This, this scripture does not tell you that these people cannot be saved. And anybody that tells you that, well, you know, you're just a heathen all day, every day, and you're going to die and go to hell, you don't have to do that. Because that's not what the Bible says. He says that, that if you continue in that life, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. But when you change the course of your life, you can inherit the kingdom. So don't think that you have just been X'd out and there is no chance for you because that's not the truth. God didn't say that. He says, because, look at verse 11, because some of y'all were this. Y'all were the biggest heathens I ever saw. Y'all some of the biggest rank sinners. I mean, I remember when, blah, blah, blah. He could have said all that. You had this kind of history. He says, some of you were such, but you're washed now. You're not what you used to be. You're sanctified now. You're not doing the same things. You're not moving with the crew and doing this and doing that anymore. You're not doing the extortion. You're no longer robbing people and doing it. You did. We got the papers to prove it. You might even have the record. You might even have been in prison. You, you, you walked the streets. Everybody knows that they used to call you such and such, okay? All this stuff may be true of what you were. But he said, such were some of you, which gives every single one of us the opportunity to change who we have been and become what God said. Because all it is, all of that life of, of stealing or lying or manipulating, all it ever was was living the way you thought you should instead of living the way God said. And all we have to do is do what he said, and it pulls us out. Can you see it? Yes. So I believe that's releasing hope to somebody tonight. And, I, I, and, and you may be in the church and they told you you're just a skanky nothing. Well, they lied because God didn't say it. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
and by the Spirit of our God. What is the message I want to say? We are forgiven. We are forgiven. Here it is, last two slides. Because what he did with his blood is a one-time event, but what we do with his blood is not. We have access to the blood of Jesus forever. Go into the next one. We continually implement the spiritual kingdom power of his blood. That's what they mean when they say, I plead the blood, or we release the power of the blood of Jesus. Where in the areas of your thinking where the madness, where the torment, where the reminders of what you've done, you don't know what I've done, but God does because he was there and all of the other kind of stuff. The blood of Jesus washes. It says, go to this next one, because of his blood, we are forgiven and we are filled with the ability to likewise forgive others. You are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. That's the message, the Passover, the message of the cross, the message of salvation, the message to those that are born from above that are saved but walking in the guilt of yesterday, that the Romans 8, 1 and 2, that you are no longer condemned, that you are no longer held accountable according to the law of the spirit of death, uh, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death. If you are born from above and you are walking in the law of sin and death, come out, come and see what it is that he has to offer because I guarantee you, you'll get a conversation like no other. My name is Pastor Lundzine Letha Lee and I am of Astounding Love of Global Church Fellowship and that is the end of my kingdom conversation with you tonight. So I wanna say to the people of Astounding Love, you know what to do. We were gonna receive God's tithes and his offerings and so forth. If you don't know us and you don't know our Jesus, again, you can contact us at astoundinglove.org or write something in there um, that tells one of us, I want you to message me and one of our team members will get in touch with you. And again, I'm gonna say this, if you were born from above and you are walking in condemnation, it is time for you to knock it off. Quit walking in religion and start walking in truth. I endorse this message. I stand yes. by this. I'm committed to this and we are committed to your best. So we bless the offerings tonight. We receive them. We invite you to come and join us on Sunday for Resurrection Sunday. Be raised to life again in the areas where you have still walked in deadness. Be alive to the things of God. If you want to reach me personally, do the contact us or leave a note on our website or on our, um, our Facebook Live page. We love you. We're releasing healing. We release truth. We release love. We release the resurrection power. We release the power-filled voice of the blood of Jesus. And we thank you so much for joining us for tonight's Kingdom Conversation. And we'll see you next time. Good night.